Welcome to Simply by Dale HQ. On this podcast, we engage thought leaders on topical issues around law and business in the most simplistic manner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 7 of Simply by Dale HQ. On this episode, we will be doing an expose into the global Islamic finance market in a bit to understand the core Sharia principles that underpin the market, the available products and services, the market segments, and the short and long-term outlook opportunities within the Nigerian um, alternative finance market. Joining us today is the CEO and co-founder of Trust Bank Arthur, a thought leader and recognized expert in ethical finance, alternative finance, and non-interest banking. Please make welcome Dr. Bashir Oshodi. Dr. Oshodi, <laughs> it's a privilege to have you as our guest today on Simply. I have no doubt that our listeners are eager to get practical insight into the rudiments of Islamic finance in a market that boasts of an over 2.2 trillion US dollar asset base, which has now earned its pride of place in contemporary mainstream financial markets. Without further ado, please permit me to jump right into the first question for today. In simple terms, what is Islamic finance and what are the financial Sharia principles that underpin the Islamic financial market? Okay, so um, Islamic finance um, is, um, is a subset of the Islamic economic model. You know, the Islamic economic model is, um, I'll say for me, is wider than conventional and economics. It has got several parts, you know, so Islamic finance is just a little part of it. Um, so um, basically, um, Islamic finance prohibits interest, basically. Well, it stands on three other pillars, apart from prohibition of interest. Um, it doesn't allow gambling, um, define gambling in a unique fashion. <laughs> it doesn't allow um, uncertainty, transactions that have elements of uncertainty. And of course, it doesn't allow, you know, you know anything, you know, a set of scholars, you know, Sharia scholars, those who understand fiqh mamalat, Islamic commercial jurisprudence. There's, you know, anything they say is not, is not allowed, is also not allowed. So, so even if you see a regular transaction, it looks normal. You know, it's a regular business. You know, it's not alcohol, it's not tobacco, right? It's not um, anything. It's not ammunition. But she has scholars feel, hey, for one reason or the other, this transaction is not compliant. Then it's not compliant. So, Islamic finance stands on these four major pillars. You know, on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, most of the time, transactions needs to be transaction based. Or if you like asset based or asset backed, it has to be something. Okay. And where there's nothing, then it will have to be based on some kind of benevolent act. And again, by the time you start to ask your question, I'll start to address all these things even further. Right. Um, so Slime Finance prohibits these four things, allows you know um an entity, or should I should I say allow a product to be there or an asset or something you're trading in or you're doing business in. So if you come to me and say you want um, a million naira, you know, I want to know why, you know, uh, the bank, you know, uh, if it's for personal use, then um, it could be benevolent. If it's a guarantee, yes, it's going to be benevolent to say, okay, you want a guarantee, you want it because you need it, you know. So, so there are ways we treat a lot of these things. Well, again, the first most important thing is what do you want to do with the money? You know, it's on the basis of that okay. we start to map out or fashion out or mold, you know, 
or if you like, or crafts, you know, you know the application of, of, the, of the contracts or the instruments under, under Islamic finance. Yeah. Okay. So what then is the attraction for people who are into those sort of services? I mean, if you're seeing, if you're limiting, we can't do this, we can't do that. What what makes people consider, you know, Islamic finance? Okay, so, so the truth is, for everything in conventional space, you can actually, you know, you can have the share compliant version of it. Actually, everything, you know. Um, in, in the beginning, you know, if you look, if you look at if you look that history line, the first sort of transaction was simply to mimic, you know, you have in the conventional space, just mimic them, you know, just yes. repeat. <laughs> you know, copy and paste them. You know, however, not just copy and paste, in line with the rules of Sharia to a very large extent. Um, so if, if you want to travel, if you want to travel, want to buy a travel ticket, if you want to pay your children's school fees, or, or if you want to pay hotel, you know, it, these are services to a very large extent. You know, there are ways we treat it, you know, the Islamic finance. There could be scholarly arguments, you know, around how best you, you know, give cash to somebody that also pays school fees okay. you know so we then look at the contracts that we have within so the contract has framework right you know, it's equity debt services right from okay. very broad category from that broad category they start to look at um um the ones that applies the most and where there's confusion which happens sometimes a lot of times you know something unique you know then go back to the sharia scholar and say hey scholars <laughs> we have a problem here. Can you help us identify or interpret this? Or, or would you accept this model that we're coming up with? Now, the reason for that is to prevent things that are not allowed. For example, you cannot do sale of debt. So what you call, you know, what you have as a derivative today, you know, when you trade on debt, I trading on debt, you know, which of course led to the global economic collapse, you know, in 2006, Yes, it's a result of trading on debt. So you just keep piling up. You keep creating products around debt. You know, you're paying now instead of debt. That's not allowed. So, so again, uh, most things are allowed. You can mimic practically everything. Um, however, you know, you should avoid out of interest, gambling, uncertainty, and ethical concerns to a very large extent. Okay. Thank you very much. So you had spoken briefly about you know the history of finance, but we want to go in a bit deeper. So Islamic finance has undoubtedly found its way into a mainstream global financial markets. But can you explain the historical growth of this kind of finance and its significance to global economic growth? Okay, so let's go down history line a little bit. Um, you know, you know, you know, you have the you know of course the colonial masters all over the world. You know, yeah, the economic theories, you know, the neoclassical economic theories started to emerge from the beginning of the 20th century, the likes of Alfred Marshall, you know, and all of that. The great scholars, um, of course, you had the likes of Karl Marx, their own unique um, propositions just before um, Alfred Marshall and co. Now, 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 and before then, you had great scholars like Adam Smith, influenced by the church, you know, most scholars were influenced by their, you know, Christian or Jewish heritage, you know, and, and so, while economics was expanding, when calculation started to come into economics, you know, especially um, started looking at the works of Alfred Marshall, you know, you know, calculation came in, even though of course it was also influenced by heavily influenced by the church and the Bible. Um, now with these calculations, you know, a lot of things, you know, were absorbed. 
they were absorbed. You know, as a result of that, um, interest was then seen as something that is fine. If you look at the great scholars, you know, Christian scholars, you know, three, um, four, five centuries before now, you know, they had prohibited interest, you know, and then, you know, over time things started to change. You know, actually, we got definition of money. You know, definition of money changed from 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 just you know, so so in those days you just have gold or silver, right? So money was, you know, a means of exchange because it was gold or silver. It was a means of the fat value. It was a means of store of value and all of that, you know. But you know, by the, by by the mid by the by the sixties, um, when a lot of the Muslim countries to have independence, um, they realized that hey, there's a problem here. The the, the economy model that we're we're, we're fashioning, learning from the colonial masters. You know, did not align with um, the rules, you know, Sharia. So um, they, they decided to define money first, which was a very important part of the entire storyline. Okay, what is money exactly? You know, because at some point, and we were even confused that, okay, um, interest is, um, they said to differentiate interest from usury, you know, before the 60s, of course, you know, even into the 70s, and they say, hey, you know, where there's excessive charge, that is, that is what's not allowed. Where the charge is minimal, it's fine. You know, but scholars sat, you know, I think early 70s, globally, Islamic scholars, and, and redefined money, and of course, interest, to say, come, anything you add on money itself, or you take from money itself, as a condition for loan, is, is interest, you know, so that definition became clear. On the backdrop of that definition, we then started to build theoretical Islamic economic model, right? You know, into the mid 70s. And of course, then you had the likes of Slavic Development Bank, you know, they came into action, set up in 1975, you know, and of course, from there, you know, there was a gradual growth, you know, of the markets in terms of this new proposition from theoretical to practice, you know. Um, and then that that has then, um, of course, on the basis of that, we've started to build. If you, if you look at the works of, of Islamic finance scholars, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, you'd be like, what's this? <laughs> are they writing? You know, it looks so abstract, you know. Again, they needed to put the, the economic theories, they knew very well, you know, from conventional economics. They needed to inject it perfectly well into Islamic economic model, you know, and all of that, you know. And I was one of the scholars sometime, and he said, hey, Bashir, I wrote in the 70s, when I look at these writings, I'm like, they actually write this, <laughs> you know. Um, but but by the 80s, a lot of things started to change, you know, reality started to set in. But again, for those that did very well, the likes of Malaysia and Co, um, they, they, they didn't have a choice at that time because they had to learn from theories to mix up a lot of things, you know. What was fully compliant, what was not fully compliant within the realm of their school of thought, you know. Um, they needed to grow the industry and they put the base down economic model on, on you know, what I'll call, what I'll call the interior economic model, right? Uh, with the peaks from Japan, from South Korea, from the Stan economic model from the West. So they picked those sort of models and they made it work. Uh, and so today, like of Malaysia, they've done fantastically well. You know, where they've made mistakes, they've adjusted over time very quickly. And on, on, on the backdrop, backdrop of that, you know, you started to see massive growth. And of course, the GCC also started to emerge quickly, you know, with their own understanding Islamic finance. And so, yeah, the groups we talked about were about, um, you know, almost hitting almost three trillion there about, you know, it's not been bad, could have been better, you know, average growth about 20, 20%, you know, globally. In the case of Nigeria, we're gonna go there, you know, it's an exceptional case, 
<laughs> I'm struggling to understand myself. You know? Yeah, I hope I quite answered your question. Yes, yes, you did. So one thing that's been consistent in what you're saying is that Islamic finance is something that's growing and there's always need for, or there's always room for improvement, you know, where um, a new idea comes up. So I have one other question. So a school of thought has been argued that Islamic finance will only reach its full potential through digitization and innovation. To buttress this point, um, Organization of Islamic Cooperation Countries are reported to be recording about 21% growth year on year, year on year in this industry. But in Nigeria, there doesn't seem to be much traction on, you know, Islamic fintech or innovation generally in this in this area. So, what do you think is responsible for this lack of of development? Okay, so globally, um, the cut a lot of my experience. Um, again, they said to experiment things from the mid seventies, you know, um, into the eighties. So they tried a lot of things, you know, a lot of these things have worked. So, so if you pick the UK for example. UK only came into the UK, I mean, way back, 1984, 82, thereabouts. 82, the UK started to come up with share compliant products. They started to experiment, you know, made mistakes. They corrected themselves again. You know, of course, they had to align with their own understanding of finance, you know, which is fantastic. You know, the most sophisticated in the world. It's not the most sophisticated, you know, the concept of credit cards, you know, and all of those products, you know, called mortgages, you know, if you like, on finance. That's what we like to use. You know, so so they, they built all of this over time, slowly and gradually, and they learned quickly. And then you had this massive knowledge base, you know, sitting everywhere, you know, in Europe, in Malaysia. And, and, and so because of that knowledge base, people understood this thing very quickly. You know, bankers quickly converted to, you know, um, Islamic finance, you know. And, and also, so again, as we're growing in banking, they're growing in fintech, you know. So in more advanced economies, one there's one single most important thing in advanced economies. That's his address. <laughs> you must have an address. <laughs> if you don't have an address, you can't do anything. You must have a proper on, for, on, on the platform of having an address, you know. Everything is then connected to you. You know, of course, when phone started, you must connect your phone numbers, you must collect your bill from home, you must get your bank statement at home, you know. So you could track a lot of things, right? Everything can be tracked very easily and very quickly. And the platform of that, there was good security, IT security, you know. And the back of IT security, it then became so easy to build a lot of other things. Look at something, a product, a, a company like PayPal, for example, you know. Um, I, I don't know whether, you know, you know, if you try to send money from Nigeria, it's going to go, you know, but it's because they cannot pinpoint where you are, who, who you are, no proper identity, you know. Now, because the foundation for, you know, tech, you know, products in Nigeria is very low, the foundation is low. A lot of people still don't have address, something as simple as address, we don't still have, you know. Uh, we cannot, you know, when I, was, when I was one of the banks, you know, um, a while ago, uh, somebody went to the ATM, you know, they actually used a fake card or something, but it got one out of the ATM. They saw the person's face, <laughs> quite all right. They played the video in the office. So this is the guy that stole the money. What's next? You can't get him, <laughs> you know. There's a way to track that person, you know. And and, and so, so if there's actually fraud or something, you know, you're going to struggle to find what the person is. You know, so because IT security is weak in that part of the world, you know, building so much on it, you know, is then not going fast as, as it should be, you know. So if you look at the UK, for example, in terms of Islamic finance 
you know, fintech. They've gone ahead of even Malaysia and, and GCC countries. And that's because of their strong foundation for, you know, financial inclusion and for, you know, you know, you know, identity, um, you know, if you like management and all of that. Um, so, so in our case, yes, a lot more growth in that area now. Um, looking at um, tech-related transactions, um, again, of course, with with the with the with the with mobile phones you know, coming in, you know, when you know, President Basanya was president um, um, of Nigeria, um, that has led to a lot of improvement. You know, a lot of foreign direct investment coming to Nigeria now. You know, you know the kind of money that even the Islamic banks have not seen. <laughs> you know, it's going to fintechs. Yeah. Right? tech-related you know, transactions. So we're, we're getting there closely, but the foundation is too weak. So when the foundation is weak, um, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's just, you can't build too much on it. It's just going to collapse, you know, and that's what they've done very well in my advanced economies. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. So, Sukuks, which are Islamic bonds, you know, they've become one of the most prominent um, financing instruments globally for infrastructure development. They've also been embraced and promoted by the World Bank, IMF, and other um, development financial institutions. Do you share the view that the opportunity for Sukuk investment is being driven um, by the fact that conventional financial institutions seem unable to bear the financial burden for growing global, um, global in, uh, infrastructure needs? So the question is the fact that um, people are turning to you know Sukuks as a as a source of finance for development of, of infrastructure. Does that say something about the already established um, routes that they could have taken? So what, what is it about Islamic finance and scoop bonds that is attracting people instead of, you know, conventional financial means? Okay, okay, let's start with more organized economies, right? So, you know, if you look at the development of France, of Paris, for example, you know, um, after the Second World War, there are challenges too. There's slums all over. They needed to regenerate the system, you know, you know, the, the urban, the urban system, you know, the cities. They, they became, you know, they destroyed, you know, as a result of the war. And so, you know, um, and the gentleman came in and said, well, we're going to get long-term funding, right? So for urban regeneration to take place in Paris, you know, um, you know, everything went into the 50s and into the 60s. They said to organize, um, the bond structure, because it's longer term, it's more patient, you know. Um, and then in order to pay back the end of the fund, you know, and then perfectly well, you know, of course, amazingly, even New York, they say having their um, master plan, you know, their housing master plan, for example, you know, and their urban master plan, even just into the 60s, 70s, you know, and, and, um, and that helped them to get long term funding to develop and do a lot of great things. Um, so, so for me, um, I mean, I, I've tried to study um, all the economic models, really. I mean, to be frank, all of them, <laughs> you know, from classical to neoclassical to what we call dependency theories and what we call the war system theories and all of that. And of course, Islamic economic model. I, I, I mean, these economies were built on the backs of the interest-based system. And, and they're not doing badly. You know, you come to the UK today, Everything looks so organized. You go to US, you, know, you go to Hong Kong, or you go to Singapore. You know, they built they built lovely infrastructure on the back of conventional finance. Right? Um, so I wouldn't say conventional finance has not worked. It has not worked. I mean, it has worked perfectly well. You know, to be to be neutral. You know, to be neutral. So you know, for those of us that find ourselves in one leg in academics, 
you know, we, we, we've learned to be very neutral because at the end of the day, um, um, you know, these economies are organized, very organized, you know, and it's on the back of conventional finance. However, however, the, the thing about Islamic finance is that um, Islamically, um, there's provision of interest. Interest is not allowed. And so while we're trying to be organized, trying to have lovely cities and trying to get things done, trying to create lovely bonds, you know, we thought that, okay, no, 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 no. Because we want to do, want to have some of the Shara compliance, you know, we then prefer that it's a cook rather than um, bonds, right? Okay, Shara compliant. But, so the purpose is to serve the same, you know, the same intent as the bond. We have achieved lovely bonds in Paris and New York, all of these countries over time, you know, we want to achieve the same thing, really, the same thing, you know. Now, if you look at Nigeria, you know, or Africa as a whole, you know, it's a different ball game because, um, you know, so when the World Bank tried to measure good governance, you know, they had good governance indicators, control of corruption, um, political stability, rule of law, you know, government effectiveness, and all of these indicator, indicate, indicators. When they tried to measure them, they realized that we're so weak in them. And, and so that then weakened the institutions also. As a result of this weakness, you know, you know, even when you have the conventional bond, that helped Paris to become a modern city after the Second World War, or, or, or that made New York to be renewed, you know, from the 70s, you know, to be renewed every from the 70s. You know, you realize you, you, can't, you can't achieve the same results, you know, in our part of the world because of the weakness of, of, of the good governance indicators, and more importantly, um, of course, that then led to weak institutions. So now, 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 so the question now is, maybe Suku can give a better result, right? Again, to achieve the same result, because in the case of bonds, you know, in more, you know, if you like, imagine economies, you know, what I call struggling economies. <laughs> you know, in the case of struggling economies, um, if you issue a bond right now, you don't know what the money, the money, you, you cannot really say, hey, here's the project that the money has been used for. You know, you, you can't see it. You know, the time we had a session with, you know, one of the organizers of bonds in the country, you know, and they were like, Actually, guess what? We've been issuing bonds for a while, but sometimes we look back and I'm like, what do we do with the money? We can't see anything. You know, we issued a lot of bonds. You know, so, so bonds in more advanced economies should result, you know, good results in terms of overall development. Bonds in our own economy is showing nothing. <laughs> and, and so then Sukuk then becomes important because Sukuk must be backed by the assets, by particular assets. Some scholars have defined it in several forms. Should it be asset-backed? Should it be asset-based? Do you have records on the asset? Should you not have records on the assets? Some scholars have said, hey guys, don't stress yourselves. Sukuk is Sukuk. It's asset-backed, asset-based. As long as you can see what you're doing with it. You know, you can see the roads, you know, in case of Nigeria now, which is fantastic, you know. Um, so I was speaking with a client the other day. I said, well, let's use your lovely land to do a lovely to cook, you know. And I said, well, I love to cook. He's not a Muslim, by the way. He said, I love to cook because um, I can see, we can see what to cook is doing, <laughs> you know. So, so, so if you look at it from that angle, you know, you have achieved solid results in in, in developed economies with bonds, right? Now, 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 in the case of our own economy, you've not achieved that. And so we're thinking to cook can be a good replacement of bond because you can then see. And that's because, like I mentioned, because that's because of the weak institutions that we have. And that's how to see the result. Yes. Now, for more advanced economies, for more advanced economies, um, the interest in Sukuk isn't that bonds have not done well, it has done fantastically well, but that they're able to attract extra funding, you know, from, you know, actually the, 
<laughs> origin, you know, you know. Yeah. So, so because they're able to attract that, it then becomes an attractive instrument in the market. Yeah. Fantastic. So I just wanted to to follow up on on something you mentioned very briefly here. So you were talking about um, a a colleague or a client who is very much interested in sukuks but isn't um, a Muslim. So my question is, who exactly is Islamic finance for? Is it limited to a particular group that shares an interest, or is it something that's open to, to everyone? I mean, I like that question because um, just barely 14 years ago, when we did the first propositions, one of the banks I worked with, you know, I mean, I did the proposition, you know, we, we look at I me, mean, we, we had consultants from, you know, other countries, you know, we did, we did this massive, lovely research, well articulated. You know, I was in the front of it and I enjoyed it so much, you know, and I spent a lot of time and energy on this research just because I want to build products, right? And so, and so all we did was oh, we looked at the, the population of Nigeria, we looked at the Muslim population, we looked at the adult Muslims, you know, we looked at income levels, you know, we looked at the income pyramid. I said, okay, yes, this is the target market. You know, these guys are going to give them Islamic finance. They're going to buy it, you know. And then at that time, we had Efina, Enhancing Financial Innovation Access. You know, Efina came up with um, their, you know, unique uh, financial inclusion um, um, research. You know, I think the first was 2010, or 2008, second was 2010. So every two years, they did this national research, you know, financial inclusion. They realized Okay, the bulk of the umbanga from this segment of the market in this part of the country, you know, and we can, you know, so to the, the plan was let's let's, uh, let's let financial inclusion, you know, let's make people to be, you know, let's put them in the in the, in the financial system, you know, the formal financial system. Now, what a lovely research that we did, right? But you know what we realized? Um, it was a mistake because you know the market was actually for everybody. <laughs> So I told my go, you know, I moved to another organization. I said, hey guys, we're not going to bother ourselves with um, the Muslim market because we'll have been wasting a lot of time, you know, which I've experienced in the past. You know, I said, no, we're going to create product for everybody. Everybody. You know, you know, you know in finance or in, 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 in business strategy, it's all called symmetric competition and asymmetric competition. Competitors within your field, symmetric. You know, asymmetric, you know, you know, other companies that you don't even see and the fintechs and all of these guys don't even realize that they're there, right? Um now I'm gonna come back there as we go on, right? I'm gonna come back there. But but you know, so at the end of the day, you know, we realize that hey, those that bring the deposits, many of them are yeah, yeah, Muslim segment, no problem. Those that bring the deposit. And then those that those that use the assets, you know, if you like, you know, we call loan, we don't call it loan, you know, assets, you know, you know. Those that you give facilities to, you realize that most of them are not um, on the Muslim market. Well, let's give a typical example of the first to cook in Nigeria. The first, the first foreign governments to cook. About 93% of institutions that bodies to cook are conventional institutions. So if you look at the cook market as you know, being different from say banking, right? Core banking, you know, even the liability, right, came in from the conventional institutions. <laughs> over 93% of it. But then we had the next one, you know, over 90%. It started to reduce over, over time. But even the last one, I still, I think it's still about 80% from the conventional institutions. The investment is to cook. Yes, federal government guarantee, you know, it's secure, you know, you, know, you can see the asset, you know, the, and the governance, you know, is unique and fantastic. 
you know, so everybody put into it, of a typical bank, Islamic bank, or common interest bank in, in Nigeria, including the Asamayme companies, you know, till today, you know, you still have over 80, 90% of those that use the product to come from other faiths, other than, other than Islamic faith, which is amazing. And so, so that, that, that's justified or that validated, or that validates, you know, the, 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 the perception that Islamic finance is actually for everybody. You know, um, you've got that's good products yes, in, in finance, what called differentiation or business strategy. Yes, it's different. Yeah, pricing is good. Everybody's fine. You know, risk is well covered, well mitigated, inerrant and residual risk. Everybody's happy. Good to go. So it's for everybody, really. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so another question. Um, the Islamic finance market in Nigeria boasts of a market size of about 2.3 billion naira. I mean, it's not much compared to what was already quoted for, you know, the global market size. And this estimation was at the end of um, 2021. And there are mid to moderate growth projections for this year, 2022 and 2023. Yeah. We've also seen that the federal government um, has driven market engagement through the issuance of its own um, government backs to cooks, while the central bank um, continues to provide an, an enabling environment for the you know, emergence of non-interest banks and other financial um, Islamic financial institutions. So in yeah. spite of all these things that have been done, you know, to deepen the market, um, the Nigerian market for Islamic finance is still um, considered to be in its nascent growth stage when compared to the likes of Morocco, Sudan, and, and the countries you've already mentioned before, like, like the UK, for example. So there is still this constrained demand for Islamic finance products, while um, market awareness and understanding um, remain significantly low. So how do you think Islamic finance awareness can be promoted? And who do you think should take this responsibility? Look, I mean, um, fantastic question. I mean, um, so as a player in the market, <laughs> I get worried myself, you know, and um, you know, something I realized, you know, when you do something the same way all the time, you get the same results. It means I have to change your ways, basically. The strategy needs to change. Yeah, so you're right. Um, if you look at the market very well, um, Islamic financial institutions are, are still, they're still babies. <laughs> You compare them to the conventional space. If you look at the asset size, for example, we're still at, you know, barely 0.7% of the Nigerian asset size. You know, see the conventional, you know, guys are doing 100, 100, 100 naira, for example, we're doing less than one naira. <laughs> you know, if you look at the, the debt market, you know, or the bond market, you know, compared to the Sukuk market, thank you for the federal government Sukuk. That has also increased the figures a little bit, which is still, you know, still less than two percent of the, you know, and of course, don't forget that the bond market is still going to be growing, you know, and the you know commercial banks, the conventional commercial bank will still be growing. So, so Islamic finance does not grow at the same speed, you know, and the growth is still going to be marginal. We did set ten-year master plan some seven, oh, that was a while ago, some seven years ago or so, and the plan was to have twenty-five percent of the markets. The only Islamic finance out twenty five percent of the market, you know, on the sex side, and and you know, seven years later, you know, we're still if you look at it, if you look at it very well, we're still very far from it, too far from it. Um, it's still going to take a bit of time to to hit the target. Um, but but so what I think needs to happen at this point is a change of strategy, you know, and and, and so and so it's not enough to actually understand 
all the Islamic finance terminologies, you know, and the rules of the game, you know, the contract, you know, have the lovely, you know, Sharad governors in place, you know, they get started, you know, it's, it's nice, it's a good way, you know, so we started that way. You know, I think the beginning, the first major challenge was that, okay, let's even start to have no interest banks. I know, of course, Governor CBN then, you know, um, his real majesty was very helpful in getting a lot of things done. And so people started to have the license, you know, from two two banks, you know, in the beginning, um, you know, in 2011, <coughs> two banks, a window and a full-fledged, um, there was gradual growth. Now you have a lot more full-fledged Islamic bank or non-interest banks. Um, um, the capital, yeah, of course, the capital was made lower so that, you know, Islamic banks can at least get started, which is a fantastic thing. The good thing is that over time, we said to increase the capital, uh, which of course. Now, going specifically to your question, um, the strategy basically needs to change. You know, we need to start to look at, you know, um, in, in strategic management, you know, what you call, you know, the vulnerabilities that you're exposed to, right? You expose to certain vulnerabilities, you know. Um, if you like, what we call self other than social context, whatever that means. It, it means I want to look at psychological vulnerabilities, organizational vulnerabilities, and of course, political vulnerabilities. You know, in, in other words, you want to look at you want to look at your predictable surprises, the surprise that is coming to you, and it's surely going to come to you. You know, and they want to sell those. Are you going to cross those orders? You know, in, in, in a manner that allows you to stand strong, right? And um, for that for that to happen. Strategies need to change, you know. So why, why is the asset size low still? Yes, it's growing, no doubt it's growing, but is it growing, you know, in the same speed with conventional with the conventional one? No, maybe not, but it's growing. You know, growth can be very marginal, <laughs> you know what I mean? And growth can be sharp, right? So the group is not sharp yet. And okay, the good thing is I have more players coming in and the assignment setting, for example, you have a lot of assignment companies that now want to offer share compliant funds, which is fantastic. That will surely help the growth. We have, you know, um, everybody doing real estate. <laughs> you know what to do to cook, <laughs> you know, because the asset bag, I see the assets, you know, they put the title with some trustee somewhere and everybody's happy that, okay, yeah, 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 it's covered. You know, I can examine cash flow, we can have recourse to the assets when it's, when anything goes bad and all of that. So yeah, we're seeing growth, but, but, but the vulnerabilities, the, the, the expected, you know, the predictable surprises, are yet to be addressed in terms of, you know, um, are you all just going to go, will all the Islamic bank just go to, say, Islamic Development Bank or ICD and say, give us some money? Yeah, you get some money from them, you know, but but you want to just target the globe and say we need a lot more foreign direct investments into the space. We need a lot more guarantees. You know, can, can you imagine if I'm a bank and I sit on, say, you know, $200 million worth of guarantee? <laughs> you, you know what I can do with that? I can perform magic. Right, right. In terms of expansion of assets, you know, do you want to look at lines? You know, give lines. You, you know, you know what makes. I mean, what makes the transaction compliant? It's just a thin line between the conventional and Islamic. What, what makes it share compliant? Just a thin line, a rather thin line. You know, do this, do this, it's compliant. Do this, and don't do that. You know, and, and all of that. In, in other words, in other words, you know, in terms of foreign direct investment, fund beyond Nigeria, in terms of guarantees. In terms of trade lines, in terms of treasury lines, you know, you have never said to look at them. Yeah, maybe because, you know, they also set certain CBN regulation in terms of how much money you can bring 
based, based on your capital. You know how much foreign borrowings, if you like, don't mind my word, foreign borrowings, which should not be more than 125% of your capital. So if your capital is low, it then means that it's going to become difficult to bring in some of this. But but let's look at it. It then means that capital must start to go up. You know, capital must start to grow up aggressively, right? And then it can then start to create a lot of other things, of, of balance sheet in the form of Sukuk and all of that, you know? So what's going to be the motivation for a non-interest bank in Nigeria to do is to cook. When you sit on current accounts of 70% of, 70 of your total liability, <laughs> you know, that's cheap fund. If you're going to do to cook, it's going to come at a cost, you know, to this cost, 30, 40, 15%, you know. Meanwhile, your, your even your investment account, your Mudaraba deposit is sitting at, um, you know, 5, 6%, you know, 7% sometimes. You, we always fight the Islamic bank and say, hey, you know, give us more returns. It's too small, you know. Um, 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 and so, and so, when 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 the, the, the liability is a lot cheaper, there's no motivation to want to do so cook <laughs> because it's too expensive, you know. But 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 to have since we can then start to attract, you know, what happened in federal government to cook? When we then show that money can come in from the conventional space, and you can then start to take a large chunk of the cake from the conventional side into your own space. So yeah, then become very nice to do a lot of these um, lovely instruments, the CPs, watch of papers, um, so cook, um, industry. Um, so here's your second census in, in the compliant. financial market. So a lot more players can come, um, a lot more funds. You know, first, first, do the ESG principles align with the tenets of Sharia? And, and, and is there a corresponding drive you know, in the Islamic finance industry to incorporate um, ESG principles into products and um, services being offered? Okay, so let's start with ESG. What's ESG exactly? So we're talking about social, you know, social factors, you know, um, supply chain, you know, standards, labor standards, you know, health and safety, you're talking about human capital development, all of that. You know, on the one hand, on the other hand, looking at environmental issues, climate change, natural resources, pollution, waste, and all of that. And again, on, on the G side, you're looking at overall corporate governance, you're looking at corruption identity, you know, you're looking at yeah, executive pay, you know, board diversity, business ethics, and all of these things, right? Now, is what we also call the genealogy of the Makosid. You know, what Sharia scholars call the Makosid Sharia. Makosid Sharia is the intent of Sharia in the first place. What's the intent of Sharia? The word Sharia scared a lot of people. <laughs> but, but, the, but the primary intent of Sharia is simple. Guess what it is? It's to have, you know, you know, you know, um, nice human well-being, you know, to achieve human well-being, for human beings to be happy and communal good life and for communities to be happy, safe, and they should enjoy themselves. On the one hand, on the other hand, you know, the Makassid is then based on, you know, five lovely foundations. You know, one of it, you know, is enhancement or the improvements or the promotion, you know, or the safeguard of of the human self itself. You know, human beings to safeguard human beings to make human beings exceptional, unique. You know, one of it is the preservation of faith. Right, faith is um that's what everybody preaches, just faith, 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 which is good, but that's just a part of it. You know, enrichment of intellect, you know, soundness of mind, you know, to be able to get things done, right? I'm coming to your question, you know, the safeguarding of prosperity, posterity, future generation. You know, when you talk about future generation, you know, it then starts to take us to the environment, you know, everything that has to do with the future, the people. And that's why I call it the genealogy of From the word gene, you know. Um, trace, you know, um, you know, something of that nature. And the last one is the expansion of wealth. How do you explode wealth? <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know, in a manner, in a fashion that is compliant, that is ethical, you know, 
uh, following the rules, the general rules of our governance. So, so in my organization, I was I looked at everybody sometimes. I say, oh, okay, you don't seem to have enough women, enough ladies here. You don't need to bring in a few more ladies. You know, I want to do 50-50 <laughs> rather than the norm, which is basically, um, I think, is it 35 thereabouts. You know, um, like, hey, I want to do, I want to do 50-50. You know, to balance things up, you know, in management, you know, and in overall staff, right? So it's allowed in that area, you know, let's let me find out. You know, the rules of ESG aligns perfectly well with the Macaulay. The Macaulay is a bigger foundation in which all of these rules align, you know, perfectly well. Again, going back to supply chain standards, you know, you know, labor management, you know, it's covered perfectly well under, under the unique way in which wealth is ex- must be expanded, right? You know, um, the human self, you know, what are the, we must respect the human self, right? You must, you must provide the good things that the human self wants, you know? So sometimes it's surprising when you hear or some of the things that so the, the Muslims are doing this and be like, hey, it's not possible. You can't be a Muslim and do this thing. You know, there's, that the rules are there, you know, um, which, which, which centers around again, the Makassi. Again, a lot of works have been written from 11-11, you know, thereabouts, you know, um, by, you know, the likes of um, Al-Ghazali, into the, you know, the works of Ashatibi, and of course, more recent scholar, you know, um, Professor Chapra, and of course, a lot of us have done a lot of work in that area. But yes, on the platform of the, on the Makassid Sharia, or what I prefer to call the genealogy of the Makassid, right, on the platform of that, everything under ESG, fitting, comes or goes to it perfectly well, perfectly well. So again, all of those things are part of um, um, overall costing, of course, part of Islamic finance is very logical. That's why I also talk about the expansion of wealth. You know, that expansion of wealth, you know, addresses any issue that has to do with um, corporate governance. You know, so we're not talking about just expanding wealth. You know, so so in Islam, there's, talk, there's something about earning Allah and spending Allah. So it means that your earnings must be share compliant, your spending must be share compliant. You know, um, um, you know, of course, that means there should be natural corporate governance setting in place. Very natural one, you know, without any, you know, without even stressing yourself. You know, it should be a process. And if you then look at also the kind of Sharia process you go through to get people approved, you know, um, the Sharia scholars will say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We want to protect the customers. <laughs> you know, yeah, the bank wants to make all of this money. You know, the, the, the firm wants to do very well. You know, but hey, the customer, you know, on the light time, there's a particular case where we had done the product, you know, sometime. And um, there should be, you know, if you, have, if you have to redeem early, you redeem your investment early, you know, you have to pay penalty. You know, and one of the Sharia scholars said, hey, why should you pay penalty for redeeming early? The Sharia scholar could not comprehend it. And somebody needs money to sort out personal matters. He has come to you to say, you know, give me my one million naira back. I can't wait for 180 days anymore. I've only invested for 30 days. Why do you then want to charge that person? You know, the scholar cannot comprehend it. And so, you know, so there's a natural governance in place. In, in, in Islamic finance and in the overall rules around the Islamic economic system, you know, at least theoretically, theoretically, practically, that means that we need to start to absorb a lot of these things and start to implement them better, you know, start to give women a lot more right and a lot more power. You know, again, I look at Islamic and I'm like, do we even really have a gender-based fund, you know, just for women doing very well that, you know, um, a woman will not walk away from her obligations. She will always be there. You know, to face those realities, have we done these things? Um, again, they yet to be done. You know, uh, when we talk about climate-related transactions, you know, having green-related transactions, 
have we really gone into that? So, so I think what has happened practically is that there's a big conflict here when you start the, non, the new non-interest financial institution. So you want to make profit. You want to, you want to please your shareholders, you know, first and foremost. You know, you want, you want to, you want, even before then, you want to be able to, you want to survive <laughs> first. So immediately you start to survive. Now, okay, I can pay my salaries, I'm surviving well. Then shareholders say, hey, Mr. Ma, you're not making enough money. You don't want to please the shareholders. And then you then realize that, oh, 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 but you've not done, you know, you've not even done transactions that has to align with nature, right? You know, yes, so there's a conflict between profitability, um, um, impact, and, 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 and even poverty reduction. You know, so oh, that's because I did a while ago. Um, the, the title is Can Islamic Finance Reduce the Poverty Challenge? You know, I struggle to find an answer to that question in, in our own world, in our own developing economy, if you like, struggling economy, you know, and, and so, how can we have this impact? You know, how can we how can we come up with products that yes, you're gonna make money on the one hand, but yes, also you're gonna impact a lot of lives on the other hand, which again that's Macosid. So, so the Macosid theoretically has provided that window, you know, to absorb everything under the ESG. Um, um, but practically, um, the 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 impact of it has been rather limited, you know, but again. Again, that's another very important area that another very important area that we need to, you know, speak to ourselves about to say, hey, hey, hey brothers, hey, sisters, you know, this needs to be fixed. We need to fix it. We need to start to align with all of this because it's part of the overall framework, you know, of of of, of the Islamic economic system, you know. So yes, to answer your question, there's space for that, you know, and we should do more of it, really. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I think we've, we've come to the end of our session for the day. Thank you so much for making time to join us, Dr. Oshedi. This has been the most engaging and insightful conversation. And to you out there for being a fabulous audience, remember the conversation continues on our social media pages. Do not hesitate to send us your comments and thoughts on today's episode. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by DOHQ Partners. To find out more about our services, visit www.dealhqpartners.com. See you on the next episode.